If only they were uh, enthusiastic and willing to learn, you know? All right, sorry, I'm messing with my mic here. Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you. I'm probably going to be doing this the whole time. But um, it's good to be with you. I, I was struck um, as I've been here this morning. I'm here with my wife. My kids are at home. But when we live back in Greenville, South Carolina, but even as uh, the prayers of the people were given, I've been in church since I was seven, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone pray and say, Lord, we are grateful for the oldest among us. <laughs> it's just beautiful. Um, and uh, just being with you, I, I, I'm just thankful for the gentleness and the kindness, and it's good to be with you here this morning. Um, our text this morning, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, and I know it's in the bulletin, or if you'd like to be turning that way, um, and, and I know at a church like Redeemer, I, I mean, if some of you, this may be the first day you've walked in, some of you may be, have been following Jesus your whole life, some of you might be here thinking, I don't know what this is all about, but I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more, but if you've been around for a while, I know Galatians is a book that you're familiar with. Um, but it's been on the radar for me these last number of months. Uh, the church that we attend uh, in Greenville, the pastoral staff there has been preaching through this, and it just really kind of grabbed me, and it's been something that's been on my mind, so I want to jump into Galatians 5. Before we do that, though, let me give you a little bit of background or refresh us on Galatians and what's going on in the book of Galatians. In Galatia, this church that Paul... Uh, preached to and now wrote to, they were, uh, they had received the gospel from him, the good news of Jesus, they had come to faith, and then after Paul left, there were, there was a group that came into the church that followed him, they were Jewish believers, but they were Jewish believers of a, of a certain stripe, they were convinced that in order to really follow Jesus, not only must you receive him by faith, you must then become culturally Jewish. You must follow the Old Testament dietary laws. You must follow the law to the letter. Um, Paul refers to these people as the Judaizers. Of course, most of the very early Christians were from a Jewish background, happened in Jerusalem and spread out from there. But Paul is speaking to a Gentile audience, and he says these He's writing them this follow-up letter and said, after I left, these people came in and have somehow convinced you that in order to be faithful to Jesus, you have to become culturally Jewish. And he says, not only is that not correct, it's also damaging and dangerous because it, uh, it endangers the truth of the gospel, which is that we are, we are saved by the fullness and sufficiency of everything that Christ has done for us. And there's no cultural baggage that has to be stapled on top of that. And one of the things he brings out is the Judaizers are saying, if you really want to know Christ, if you really want to be free, you have to follow the Old Testament law. Paul is saying, no, freedom comes not from following the law, but by following the Spirit. So let me pray for us and, and we'll read. Let's pray. Lord, even this moment, as we get ready to open your word, come to it, and do promise do, which is to use your word, that it would go forth and not return empty. Lord, we are made to be listeners of you and doers following your word, as we are blessed by your grace. So help us to listen right now to, to you, 
want to listen to your word. Would you use your words to good effect in our lives by the power of your spirit? And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Do not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul's point in his passage, he talks about a lot of things, but what we're going to look at this morning is that God invites us into this new life of freedom led not by the law, but by the Spirit. And we're going to look at three points to get there. First, the freedom, and then the fight, and then the way forward. So those three things. First, the freedom. We see this in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, he says, we have been called to freedom. Okay, now just stop and think for a second what he's saying there. Is this the way that you think about your life in Christ? When somebody you know who maybe is not a believer turns and asks you about, you know, what is it like to follow Jesus? Is being free the first thing that comes to mind? And maybe for you, it, it really is. But, but let's back up a step. If you were to ask somebody you don't know here in Winston-Salem who doesn't follow Christ and say, what's your picture of Christianity? Like when you think of a Christian, you think of someone, are they going to say, who is so free? So free to step into life, so free to enjoy life, so free to be in connection with God and love their neighbors. Is, is that really the cultural picture that we have of Christianity? And yet, that's what Paul is driving uh, to us uh, here. He says that the, the freedom that we have been called to in Christ manifests itself, this freedom, it manifests itself in love. That is what we are free to. He says, through love, serve one another. He goes on and says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, wh where is Paul getting this? He's boiling down the law. He's boiling down the Old Testament. He's boiling down our call to follow Christ in these words. He says it's summed up and fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. Where is he getting it? Well, he's getting it straight from Jesus. 
in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, a lawyer comes forward to quiz Jesus and potentially try to uh, cause him to stumble, but certainly to evaluate Jesus as this rabbi and what is this rabbi teaching. And he asked Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? Jesus, when you look at all of the Old Testament, how would you sum it up? What's the most important thing? And Jesus quotes Leviticus 19, 18, and he says, love First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he answers a question the lawyer does not ask. He says, and here's the number two thing, just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is taking that from Jesus and saying that law, love is the fulfillment of the law, which, as we said about the Judaizers, that's the opposite of them. That's the opposite of Paul's opponents. For them, they say, do all of the laws and at the end of the day, when you have done all the laws and checked all the boxes, that means it will equal you have loved. You will know you have loved when you have done all of the commands. Paul, however, and the gospel flips that formula on its head. And he says instead, love. And when you love, you will find that you have fulfilled all the commands. Because the love is the summation and the final fruit of them. And we see that in the way Jesus has loved us as well. Because Jesus, uh, the most free, comes and uses his own freedom to love in exactly this way. Mark 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because this is the heart of God the Father's disposition and his initiative towards us. Uh, we see it in the one famous verse that everyone knows, and I don't know if they still do this. It used to be that if you ever watched a football game, you would know this verse because somebody was holding up the sign on the sidelines of John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That what he did was move towards us in love. It's the command that Jesus gives his disciples on the night before he's crucified. In John 13, he says to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another, the summation of all the law. So when Jesus calls us to the centrality of love, he is calling us to what is central to himself, to his own agenda, to his own care. He's calling us to live in light of the love that he gives to us. He's saying not do as I say, but he's saying do as I do for you. Do as I have done for you. So here's a question. Do you know that the way of love really is the way of freedom for us? It's not just religious talk. When we love, we are free. And maybe on the surface that doesn't make sense to you because we tend to think about freedom as the lack of all constraints, the absence of any imperatives placed on our lives. We think we're free when no one, including God, is in a place to tell us what to do or what to think or how to be. We're free when we're self-determining. The Bible, though, flips those expectations on their head. It tells us that, li that life a life in which the only point of reference is ourself is a life that isn't more free. It's actually a life that's more confined. 
Why? Because a life centered on self is too small for us when we have been designed to know and find our life in the living God. A life of self doesn't set you free, it reduces you to nothing. Freedom, says Paul, is to walk in the way of love. Why? Because when we give ourselves in love to others, we are free. We are free from the control of others. And we're free from the fear of others. We're free from the siren song of self. But not only are we free from, we're free to. We're free to our truest humanity. We're free to the way of the Spirit. We are free to the very life of God. But to say that our lives are summed up, or to be summed up in love, uh, is to point out that it's, it's not really easy to live in that. Um, it'd be one thing if we could just walk out and go, oh, it's so clear now, I'm supposed to go love. Uh, but the truth is, it's not easy. There is, secondly, a fight. Uh, Paul puts it this way, the desires of the flesh are at war, they're fight against the uh, desires of the spirit, verse 17. For the Christian, there's now a fight. Now, here, flesh, as often in Paul's writings, it doesn't mean um, our, our physical bodies. It, it means our sinful nature. That part of us that even for followers of Christ has not been completely put to death. If you know Christ and have come to him, if you come to repentance and faith and new life, you still struggle with the parts and the things in you that... Um, pull you away, the desire, the old things you thought would fill you up, to get in the way of loving others. We have, as Paul would say, uh, the flesh, a sinful nature that, we, that is at war in us and with us. Uh, that is what creates our struggle to follow the Lord as we not only know we should and what we should do, but now as we know the Lord, we actually want to follow him. Verse 17, he says, if you belong to Christ, then uh, there should be in us this desire to honor God, to obey him, to follow him, to know him. But that God-given desire that he has put in us when he brings us to faith isn't the only thing at work. Why the tension? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Decisive break. We have been set free a change of life, a change of status before God. The flesh no longer reigns in your life and no longer reigns in mine. But it certainly rears its head. It makes itself known. It pushes against the Spirit's work in our lives. And we see that every day. Uh, Sunday morning, come to church, we are reminded and encouraged in the gospel. But the struggles of work, the frustrations of school, of family, of job, they're right there waiting for us. They're right, where, right there waiting for us at home. And some weeks it all feels just too much by the time we get to Wednesday or the time we get to Monday or by the time we get home for lunch today. Because our freedom in Christ is to serve and to love. There's a tension and a failure, though, that we have day by day in trying to love the people, even the people who are closest to us. Paul talks about that failure. Verses 19 through 21, he talks about what has gone so wrong. And it's a depressing list. 
Paul lists both the splashy sins and the subtle ones. Okay, so maybe you read sorcery and orgies and you think, I'm, I'm, I'm in the clear. Uh, but then, but, but, but maybe, you know, honestly, maybe not, right? In, in Ephesus, what happens? Former uh, pagan sorcerers come and burn their spell books when they come to Jesus. Uh, but maybe more at home for many of us, jealousy, divisions, fits of anger, he says idolatry, and as you know, he, he's not imagining you necessarily have a little figurine in your house that you bow down to, uh, but the idols, anything that we put in our life other than the Lord at the very center, the thing we love and the thing we serve, work, relationships, the perfect body, the right diet, all the things. You see, we see and feel the tension of the flesh warring against the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And just notice in that list there, verses 19 through 21, how many of these are um, things he points out that break down community, that, that not only uh, erode us from the inside, but erode our relationships with each other. And then, in stark contrast to the works of the flesh, he gives the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says there are the works of the flesh on the one hand, and there is the work of the Spirit in our lives in the other. We feel the fight when we try to love of these things at war within us. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, Paul, thirdly, also speaks of a way forward for us. How do we get there? The answer isn't, uh, as the Judaizers were saying, the answer is not to follow the Old Testament law, as if that set of external constraints could change the heart. The answer isn't to try harder. It's not even to try harder to show the fruit of the Spirit, as if if we just exerted enough effort, out pops goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. Um, maybe you've done some version of that. I mean, we're, here we are at the end of January. I won't ask for a show of hands. How many, how many New Year's resolutions have, have already crumbled and fallen to the dust? Usually those are things like, I'm going to be healthier this year, or I'm going you know, to go to the gym. Or what, what if that reflected even the list here, though, of the fruit of the Spirit? This year, I'm going to be more gentle. I'm going to be more kind. Now, on the one hand, those are beautiful things to aim for. Paul's not afraid to exhort us to turn against our sin and to aim for good things. But notice here, Paul is saying, this doesn't come by effort. This is fruit that the Spirit works in us. That doesn't mean be passive, but it does mean we're not in the driver's seat. We need the Holy Spirit to work this in us. So, in other words, Paul is saying the answer here is the Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit, the personal Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. In other words, God himself must be at work in us. When he talks about the Spirit, you notice in the text here, it's capital S Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about an impulse or a force, or a way of looking at the world. This is not a different name for our own best selves. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul says the way forward is to let the Spirit 
have his way in your life. Now, this is really at the heart of why this passage in the last few months has been so intriguing to me. Um, I grew up in uh, a PCA church uh, in the Reformed world, so uh, I am very comfortable, as many of you are, with the letters of Paul and with the legal language that Paul uses often when he talks about how Christ has taken away our sin and given us the righteousness of Christ, the exhortations that come. But I'm deeply uncomfortable when Paul says things like, you just need more, you just need to follow the Holy Spirit. Like, for some reason, that feels unsettling. Uh, There's a commentator named Scott McKnight who said this, in, about this passage and about Paul's exhortation of you just, you need the Spirit. And he said this, I don't know any youth pastor who actually believes this, right? That he turns to the youth group and says, okay, um, okay, we're going to talk about dating. You, you, just, you just need to follow and trust the Holy Spirit, right? No, four on the floor, uh, home by 11, like all, all the rules come out, which, which can be wise applications, but our hope becomes if we can just put the constraints around. He says, not only do I not know any youth pastors who really believe this, he said, I'm, I'm not sure that I really know any pastors who actually believe this either. That we would stand up and say to our people, if you want to follow the way of love, and see God's work in your life, and grow. What you need is not a new law. You need to trust and follow the Spirit. It doesn't feel like enough direction and enough instruction, but Paul is perfectly comfortable saying this to us. I mean, think about um, how central this is to Paul and all the ways he says it just in our passage. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, we're to be led by the Spirit. Verse 22, bear the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25, we live by the Spirit. Verse 25, again, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step was a military term that was used for soldiers. If you kept in step in military formation, you stayed right behind the soldier in front of you. You walked in his steps you followed directly after him. Okay, so on the one hand, we look at this and we're like, these are metaphors, right? I was an English major. Pastor Giorgio was an English major. We're super comfortable with metaphors, right? Walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. And so the temptation is to say, okay, Paul, but what does that really mean? Like, what's the reality behind the metaphor? And instead, Paul is saying to us, no, 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 the metaphor is the answer. I want him to say, so here's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Here's what it means. But that, he, he's totally fine not saying that to us. He's totally fine saying, I'm going to give you the metaphor, the picture, and that is enough for you. You see, Paul had a deep, deep faith in the power of the Spirit at work in his people. Do we put more faith in our own ability to obey than we do in the Spirit to lead? Do we put more faith in our own ability to change than in the Spirit to change us? Do we put more faith in our own ability to somehow try hard enough to produce good fruit than we do put trust in the Holy Spirit who bears fruit in us? 
All of these are ways of saying, give yourself over to the Spirit. Put your eyes on Him as He leads us in freedom, in the way of love, in the fruit of the Spirit. You see, our world is amenable to things that are spiritual, but aren't, that are meant to get in touch with somehow what is best in us. That's not at all the instruction that Paul gives us when he says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Follow the lead of God who actually indwells his people. Follow the Spirit. The metaphors Paul gives us are the answer. It still makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, it's like, okay, but, you know, we still want something more tangible than that. And, and Paul leaves us hanging. I'm, I'm going to give us one, just, one, just one little piece because, uh, so we don't squirm too much. But Paul does talk about, if, if at the heart of this it is know the Spirit and let Him work in us, then it, it does mean that if we're going to connect more deeply with the Spirit, then we need to dr- connect with Him in the ways in which God has given us to connect with Him. Um, I don't, I assume there's a train station in Winston-Salem, I don't know. But if you wanted to go catch a train, the most logical thing to do would be to go to the train station because that's where they come. And that's, in many ways, what the means of grace are for us. The ways God has given us to meet with Him, to connect with the Spirit, Um, the reading of Scripture, communal worship together, the preaching of the Word, singing songs of praise, the Lord's Supper and baptism, the connections we have with other believers in community rooted in Jesus. These are all gifts God has given us. The station at which we come in contact with the Holy Spirit. So there are ways put ourselves in a posture before God that expedite, that grow His work in us. But at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is the fruit of the Spirit, all of it, the call to love, the freedom of love, this only comes by having the life of the Spirit manifested more deeply in us. And that's the thing that that transforms, that bears fruit Fruit that is love for other people. Fruit that can be seen even by our non-believing friends. Fruit that can be seen and appreciated by our own children and by the people in our community group, by our extended family, by our older parents. I want to change. That's what January 1 screams to the world. And Paul says, it is the work of the Spirit in us. We lean on and rest on Him. And He can and will do that work. He is God. We can trust Him. And we should ask. So let's do that. Let's pray. Our Father, You give us the gift of calling You Father. You give us every good gift through Christ. And You would bear this fruit in us by Your Spirit. So would You do that good work? Would you help us to look to you? Would you do all the renovation of our hearts that we need, that we might be free, free to love you, free to love those around us? And we pray it in confidence because you love us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.